Welcome to Learning Through Math, the podcast. I'm Laura at I Teach the Why. I'm Karina at Mrs. Cousins 5. Our mission is to inspire ourselves and others to keep learning and improving with passion. And hugs. You can find us at learningthroughmath.com and on Twitter at Laura and Karina. Come and join us on this journey of learning. Thanks for joining us. We are recording this in February of 2022. And welcome to episode 71, Learning About Mistakes. First, we want to give a shout out to somebody on Facebook. I think it was in a thread about podcasts, listening to podcasts, right, Karina? I think so, yes. Well, it must have been because Lisa Kwok says, learning through math with Laura and Karina is great. The hosts are fun. Oh, yeah, I think so too. And they share a lot of great resources. One host is an elementary math teacher, fifth grade, I think. And the other host is an elementary math coach. Yep. So we both thanked her for the shout out. And she said, I listen to a lot of math education podcasts and yours is my favorite. (laughs) Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. That was so nice to hear. And Lisa, we want you to join our book club. We're still doing it. And you can, even if you haven't read the book, you don't have the book, just come and you can hang out and listen because we we do have great conversations. (laughs) Oh, we really do. And then you get to actually see us and, you know, see what a hot mess we really are right? (laughs) In real life. Yeah. (laughs) All right. You have a reflection, don't you? I do. Last episode, when we were talking about volume, you also shared, Laura, a game that you played from, I think it was the Fact Fluency Kit, right? The Building Fact Fluency Kit. Yep. And it had the three factors and the kids had to multiply it together, right? And then, which could also lead itself to volume nicely. But uh, I thought it was just what a great way to discuss and play around with the associative property, right? Yeah. Because then they can see how you don't have to go from left to right when it comes to multiplication. You can multiply them however you'd like to group them. I always tell kids when you see a two, leave that one for the end, (laughs) right? Because it's so much easier to double something than it is to, you know, to start with a doubling and then have to multiply it by like eight or something, you know? So do the other factors first and then, and then double it. But that's a great, but if they have that experience, then they'll see it. It's better for them to find, figure that out as opposed to me just telling them like, don't just do that. Right. Right. Don't just wait to keep your two till the end. Like let them figure that out. And (laughs) oh, what did you find? What did you discover? Tell us what you did. Oh, how did you multiply it? Oh, how did you multiply it? Oh, wait, (laughs) which one is the easier multiplication? Right? Like all of that. So don't just jump to the end. I knew what you meant. And I think our (laughs) listeners, I hope our listeners knew that too, that they can, they understand our minds at this point, yeah, right? Yeah, I so I hope so. I just wanted to make it clear anyway. Listeners, I have some really good news. This past week, I got to go on a fifth grade field trip to the Science Museum. Now, yes, that was exciting, but just to let you know, it was our first field trip in over two years. Oh my gosh. I mean, some kids who, you know, 
my school's a neighborhood school. So a lot of kids don't ride the bus. So right. it was, here's how we act on the bus. Here's what we do when we get there. You know, you're, I loved it. My principal came on board and told the kids that you are representing four different things. You're representing yourself, our school, your family, and our community, which mm. I was like, ooh, that's good. Because we're all, we all live in, not we, they, they all live in the neighborhood. So they're representing the community too. I thought it was great. But I have to tell you the most fun part, okay? Yeah, so I'm ready. You've been to the Science Museum in West Palm, right? Mm, Has it no, been a while? Yeah, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think not the West Palm one. The one, it has a planetarium? No, I haven't. It's behind the zoo? Okay. Well, it's, it's a relatively small museum. It's not like the one in Fort Lauderdale that's two stories and yada, yada. That one I've been to. I haven't been to the West Palm one. Okay. Well, in the back, there's a huge interactive area and play area. Like you can make huge bubbles. There's a sand thing where I think you can dig for dinosaur bones or something like that. Okay. And a splash, there's a a splash thing too, where, you know, pop-ups or they come down. And I was like, fifth graders, please don't go near that splash area. And they didn't, I didn't even tell them, but thank God. However, there's a tiny little mound of grass and kids. Okay. These are my fifth graders. They were rolling down <laughs> that mound, and I was so happy. My heart, literally, I in my head, I said, "Oh my gosh, they're being kids! Like Aww. they're being children, you know?" Well, Floridian children, because it's so darn flat here. <laughs> <laughs> they're not used to hills. <laughs> now, when I say a tiny little mound, I really mean a tiny little mound of grass. But I it mean, just it warmed my heart to aw. just see them being kids. Right, right. You know? Oh, yeah. So good. Let's get into it. Talking about mistakes today. Let's talk about mistakes. Ooh. You know what I loved when you suggested this topic was bringing back the word vulnerable, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Because yes. when we make a mistake, it's do we own up to it? Do we mm-hmm. try to shut it down? Do we learn from it? Do we push it aside? I mean, there's so many complex thoughts that I have about mistakes. Now, I know we're talking about learning about mistakes, right? And learning from our mistakes in the education world. But that just got me thinking where, I mean, when I make a mistake and kids don't find it, like a a computation mistake or something, and I'm way down, I'm like, wait a minute, this part was wrong. Why didn't any of you say anything? (laughs) Right, right. Right? Right. And that that's definitely something I will say that for those of you that don't know, my husband is also in education. And one thing that he does incredibly well is he he makes mistakes on purpose for kids to catch them. And he does it constantly. I'm talking about every day, almost every single problem. He does it all the time. And kids, what's beneficial for that or you know, doing that is that then they start catching their own errors, right? And that's that's what we want. That's the ultimate goal is for them to be self-reflecting on their own work and and spotting those errors because that's what they that's what we need. That's what we need in society. That's what that's a life skill that they're going to need to be able to do and 
to make them not only good mathematicians, but honestly, even good humans. You know, like if you make a mistake, like you said, you have to own up to it. You have to find it. You have to try to work around it and do the best you can by not really necessarily fixing it, but but how are you going to move past it, right? So that is definitely something that in my own classroom I need to do more of. I don't do it often enough because you know, I always worry that if I if I show if I'm showing or demonstrating the mistake, are they going to remember how to do the mistake and not find it? Does that make sense? I I do understand, but I'm also thinking, you know, on some of our slides that we have, it's can you find the mistake? And now I'm going to have to look it up and and put it on the show notes. But isn't there a whole like mathmistakes.org or something? I don't know. Listen, yes. really, I will put the actual link into the show notes. But I think using those common mistakes and other people's yeah. mistakes at first is probably more beneficial. Correct. Yeah. Then waiting, you know, until the end where it's like, oh, here's a common misconception. And right now I'm, I'm still in like the midst of fractions in my head, right? Because third right. and fourth grade, they're still in fractions. But, and I know this is not a, a third or fourth grade standard, but one half plus anything, you know, one half plus one fourth. And, you know, I could see Matthew writing, your husband writing equals yeah. two sixths. Yes. And, yes. And things like, like that. Yep. You know, okay, really? And then take out the pieces and say, How, this doesn't equal this and right. and all of that. So I think using mistakes as a teaching tool is very powerful. Totally. And I think that the beauty of, of doing that and, and being vulnerable in front of students is that then they start being vulnerable with you. Yes. You know, so it's a, it's a two-way street. Uh, because I think I've mentioned this before, but just just recently I had a student who raised her hand and she's not one that participates often. She's one who kind of just, you know, kind of goes with it and, and every now and then she will participate. But she raised her hand and she said, can I share my mistake? And I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> what? Like that's so, first of all, so brave of you yes. to want to share your mistake. But I just love that you want to because it might help somebody else who possibly made the same mistake or who didn't think of it that way and now they, you know, or, or clears something up in their ideas and their thinking. So that's the kind of classroom that we, you know, we hope to have because we want kids to take risks and we want them to learn from each other and you've got to make mistakes in order to do that. I was in a fourth grade classroom last week which I think was last week because, you know, time is so meaningless now that the maybe about six kids, I had that group when they were in third grade when we were doing hybrid. And the first nine days we were back in school, I was their teacher because their teacher hadn't come back yet. So I felt like I, you know, got a great bond with those kids in those nine days. And I had seen them throughout the course of the school year, of course. But when I was in there and we, I don't even remember what the problem is. It was probably with fractions because that's where we're at in fourth grade. And she made a mistake and I literally went over to her board and I was like, oh, can I borrow this? She made a mistake. And she, I don't think she gave it a second thought. She was like, sure. Because yeah. I came at it and she, with such a positive attitude, right? Yes. But also she knew from experience from the previous year 
that I wasn't going to be like, ah, I can't believe you made that mistake. Let me show everybody. Right. It's something that you praise as opposed to something that you like make someone feel like not belittle, but but just make them feel. No, I know what you're saying. Because when I grabbed her board and asked her if I could share it and she was like, yes, I said, I am so sure lots of you did the same thing. So let's talk about this and how it's not correct. Right. But again, like you said, it's our attitude coming toward it. 100%. For those of you who are in our book club, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about chapter nine, which the title is, I love this one, Glamorous Mistakes. And one of the little blurbs on page 58 says, mistakes are gifts. They are opportunities waiting to be unwrapped. Oh, I feel like that is... That's the way we treat mistakes in our classroom. Yeah, and a little a little bit later, actually on the next page, it says, in some cases, there is no better teacher than a carefully examined mistake, right? So not just, not just leave the mistake, but examine it, look at it, discuss it, challenge yourself to keep going. Before, at the beginning of that same page 58, he also says, failure is not the end. In fact, it offers new information and a new starting point. It empowers us with newly developed insight. Failure is not the goal, but it frequently turns out to be advantageous. I love that. Okay, I'm going to keep going on page 58 because he does say, to be fair, there are times when failure does include a sense of finality. Sometimes, as with failing a final exam, missing a scholarship or admissions deadline, or burning the Thanksgiving turkey as the guests are arriving, failure represents both a last chance in the moment as well as an opportunity to embrace a rich learning experience. Sometimes it's possible to return to those specific experiences and try again, and he puts in parentheses, it happens all the time at the Department of Motor Vehicles. (laughs) Other times, while we may learn from our mistakes, it is too late to try again. For example, the burnt turkey cannot be undone. Right, but you won't burn it again next year. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> right? That's how I look at it. I, I do want to move on move on a little bit more on page 61 because there was something that I, I starred three times. So if I started three times, it means it, it really spoke to me. Here's what really spoke to me. Perfection is not necessary. Students should own the personal freedom to not punish themselves feel ashamed, or look down upon themselves if they make a mistake. I wish I could gift wrap that and put it in every teacher and student's box, like, you know, on on their desk. Can you say that again? I think that was so important. Yes. All right. And it's on page 61, just in case someone has the book too, and they want to go back to that to that spot, but he says, perfection is not necessary. Students should own the personal freedom to not punish themselves, feel ashamed, or look down upon themselves if they make a mistake. Yep. So in other words, we need to welcome mistakes into our classroom. Yes. If you're a teacher who does not do that on the regular, start making it something and If you feel like right now it's too late into the school year, write it down for your future forgetful self, right? For your notes. And 
start anew next school year. Yeah, and know that there are some other resources that you can go to to help out with that. There's a lot of in our in our textbooks, a lot of times they have common misconceptions or common errors. Look at those parts in your TE. Those are actually really helpful, especially if you're new to the new to the grade level and new to the standards to see where kids are going to trip, right? Where th- kids are going to have a harder time. There's the website that Laura mentioned that we're going to have in our show notes. There's also something that we've discussed before, and that's my favorite no. But recently in one of our book clubs, somebody said they use my favorite not yet. And I prefer that wording better. I feel like that's just more, you know, growth mindset and it just helps in the, in the whole, yeah, I made a mistake, but I, I just didn't know it yet. And now I'm still learning from it. So I like my favorite, not yet. And that's just basically where if you're collecting, let's say exit tickets or you're collecting something, student work, and you, you pick one of those uh, and you can keep it all anonymous. It doesn't have to be broadcasted who who it belongs to, but you show and you demonstrate or you, or you present it, uh, the student work as your favorite not yet, and then you have a class discussion around it. Why, where is the error uh, or why is this a misconception and how do we learn from it? That was definitely in our last book club because it was Mathematical Mindsets by Joe Bowler. And I just realized that her second edition of that came out recently, which, nice. you know, okay, mom, make sure I put that on my May book list for, for the book <laughs> club that you're giving to me. Thank you. <laughs> Since we're talking about Joe Bowler, let me, let me bring something up because it's something that I, this is, this is, so when we read Limitless Mind, you and you and I, and, and our Council of Mathematics here in Palm Beach County. We we did a book club. Oh gosh, this was pre-COVID. Yes, because uh, uh, we were actually together. Yes, um, we did it. We read Limitless Mind, which is excellent. Such an excellent book. But one of the things that Joe says is that when we make mistakes, your brain, even though you're not conscious, if you're not conscious of the error, your brain still learns from it. And that is so, oof, that's a that's a hard one to swallow, right? That's mm-hmm. a like how is it? I think we have to I think for that you have to think about what kind of mistake are are you making? Because if you're saying if you're constantly saying three times five is equal to fourteen, is that the kind of mistake that she's talking about? I just don't I don't feel like it's that. I don't think it's like a calculation mistake. I think we would have to dive deeper into her research. Right, like it really. I'm curious as to what what those mistakes. If there's different levels of mistakes. Hmm. Well, hopefully we can just have her come on the podcast and (laughs) she can answer all those questions that we have. Wouldn't that be amazing, listeners? We will try. We will try, (laughs) listeners. Our challenge for you this week is again twofold because we still have our book club going. If you have some awesome research about mistakes and how our brain grows from them, please send it to us or tag us on Twitter. And join our book club. We're still in the middle of it. You heard some of the quotes that we shared with you on this episode. It is a fantastic read and we'd love to have you 
join us in the conversation. And maybe soon we might be having a special guest. So sign up on the Google form. Thanks for joining us. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and give us a five-star review on your favorite podcasting platform. We invite you to join the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag learning through math. We'd love to hear your feedback. Make sure to tag us at Laura and Karina. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. To you too.